0: Good morning, everybody. So I know I've already been uh, somewhat introduced. Sorry, I bumped the mic there. Um, But my name is uh, Brady Webb. And I have together my family here, Kelsey Webb, and my three little kiddos um, with me. Um, I've lived in North City pretty much most of my life. I know many of you probably know me or have heard of me. But uh, we attend the UCPC, United Cumberland Presbyterian Church, in North City, as Mason said. But I'm thankful to be here this morning. I'm thankful to be able to bring the word to you. Um, And if you don't mind, let me unlock my fancy device here. And I'd like to open us with a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to stand before your people this morning, Lord, to share your word. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the wisdom that you have within it, Father. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. To receive that this morning, Lord, and that through this message that you would be glorified, that my words would speak the words of your spirit and not of me, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, today we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians, if you have your Bibles there. Uh, We're going to be looking at chapter 2, starting at verse 15. Okay, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, so this morning I would like to speak a little bit about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And it's something that I'm sure many of you have heard probably hundreds of times, but I also feel that it is one of the most foundational and critical beliefs of our faith. It's something that we as believers, is absolutely necessary that we understand, but it's also something that I think that we daily forget. I'd say that most of us have a proper head knowledge of it, and when asked about it, uh, we can probably speak it. But there's a difference between knowing it in our heads and actually allowing the truth to take root in our hearts. Now, I don't have a deep and intimate knowledge of all of your hearts. I don't know the thoughts that appear between your ears on a daily basis, but I do know mine, and I know that we're probably more alike than we are different, and this is something that I personally struggle with, falling into legalism. For some reason, we as humans have a tendency to feel the need to justify ourselves before God. We feel the need to earn his favor, as if... We do enough good things, or if we refrain from enough bad things, if we read our Bibles enough, or if we pray enough, then, then God will be pleased with us and, and all will be well. But why do we put this burden on ourselves? As if we could actually meet God's standards of righteousness. But nonetheless, we do. The concept of justification that is a free gift through faith is something that is in opposition to our nature. And I think that our version of reality has something to do with it. We live in a physical world, a tangible world, perceivable by our senses. When we do things in this world, we cause other things to happen. For instance, if I throw a rock into a pond, I expect that it's going to make a splash. It's probably gonna create some ripples on the water. If I clap my hands together, I expect there to be a fairly loud noise, right? Since birth, we have been submersed in an environment where we grow to learn, incorrectly as it may be, that we are the primary cause for every effect that surrounds us. And this tends to make us believe that we are, for the most part, in control of our lives, and that the outcome of our lives, or even our eternity, depends on our actions alone. It's a problem with human nature, and you can see it in almost every other world religion apart from Christianity. They all share this common thread that we are neutral characters in a world of two opposing forces, good and evil. Now, we know that this is not true as believers, right, because we are fallen since birth. But nonetheless, the belief is this, that we can do either good things or bad things. And depending on which we choose, the afterlife will be either a reward or a punishment. And we tend to extrapolate this mindset into everything that we do. To receive good things, we must do good. If bad things happen, it's because we've done bad things to deserve them. And this idea heavily permeates our culture, so much so that as believers, it can be hard to keep the truth straight in our minds. So that's what I want to discuss this morning, because when we understand the truth about justification, I believe that there are two important things that happen. One is that a great burden is lifted from our shoulders when we understand that we are neither responsible nor capable to be counted as righteous before God. And two, we are drawn nearer to the one that is capable to make us righteous. As we divert our gaze from ourselves and what we do to Jesus Christ and what he has already done. So with that being said, we're going to start at verse 15. But I think I should give you all a bit of context for this passage. Paul just finished explaining to the Galatians that he had gotten in a bit of a disagreement with Cephas or Peter as we more commonly know him. Paul had opposed Peter to his face for acting like a bit of a hypocrite. See, Peter had been eating with the Gentiles before the Jews arrived. But when they entered the scene, Peter withdrew himself, fearing their oncoming judgment. As we know, the Jews and the Gentiles have quite the history of opposing views, especially when it comes to dinner etiquette. So Peter was afraid of what they would have to say, and he withdrew from the Gentiles and went to be with the Jews. Being in a position of leadership, Peter's actions led other Jewish believers, including Barnabas, to act in a similar way. And this is why Paul decided to confront him about it. So Paul said this. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, this can be a little bit misinterpreted. It seems like what Paul is saying That if he wanted the Gentiles to act like Jews, then Peter ought to go ahead and act like a Jew to set an example. But I don't believe that this was Paul's intent. And we can see that through the following passages. Based on the verses following, Paul's intent was more likely to eliminate the wedge between the Jews and the Gentiles. By asserting the fact that neither is righteous before God. His intent wasn't to say that Gentiles should act like Jews. Or that Jews should act like Gentiles, but rather they should all act like Christians, that they should be unified in Christ. And this is important to remember as we transition into the next passage, because we need to know Paul's motive, which were to unify the church. So in order to do this, he attempts to humble the Jews because the Jews had a bit of a chip on their shoulder because they're used to works righteousness. It was part of their culture. So he teaches the Jews that, yes, they have impressive pedigrees when it comes to works, but justification does not come by works. So those pedigrees don't amount to anything when it comes to justification. So let's continue then with with verse or start, I guess, with verse 15. We're looking at verse 15 and 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So here we have Paul addressing his fellow Jews and based off of the verses prior where he was correcting Peter, it's apparent now that Paul is trying to break down some walls. He shows the Jews that they are no more righteous than the Gentiles and he does this by going into great detail about how they are justified by faith alone. We see in verse 16 that this is common knowledge that a person is not justified by the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus, right? The the very beginning of verse 16 is, yet we know. They already knew this. They've been taught it before. But much like us, they were in need of being reminded. In fact, at the the end of verse 16, we see that by works of the law, no one will be justified. Absolutely no one. Zero people. This was something that they had been taught before, as I said. So that's all fine and dandy, right? We are not justified by the law. We are justified through faith in Christ. That's great. But here's the problem. If you and I are justified through faith in Christ... Yet we still fall into sin. Did Christ fail to make us righteous? Or as Paul puts it a little differently, is Christ then a servant of sin? Paul's response in verse 18 is this. Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So great, the answer is certainly not. But what does that other part mean? For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What was torn down and then rebuilt here? Was it our sinful nature that was torn down whenever we were redeemed? It seems to make sense if you use that there. Like if we're, if we're redeemed and then we choose to return to or, or rebuild our sinful lives, then we will indeed prove to be transgressors, right? Because we're transgressing the law once more. But this is the problem. There's not one person in this room who's sinless. We're, we will not be perfected on this side of heaven. So the issue is that we will all, in a sense, rebuild our sinful nature. Now granted, it's different after coming to Christ, right? We, we strive by the grace of God to overcome the sins that so easily entangle us. But, but nonetheless, we sometimes fall back into them. So this interpretation of verse 18 is not going to work for anyone because we all still fall into sin. So if not our sinful nature, then what exactly was torn down here? I think we can get an idea of what we're talking about by looking at verse 19. Verse 19 reads, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. We're going to have to break this one down a little bit, too. So what does it mean to die to the law? Well, this is kind of an unkind phrase to say to someone, but what what does it mean if I said that someone is dead to me? If I said that someone is dead to me, then as far as I am concerned, that person is as good as dead, and I plan to treat them as such. But we're not talking about someone being dead to me. We're talking about them being dead to the law. So how does the law treat someone as if they were dead? Well, the penalty of violating the law is what? Death. So if a person is alive and has violated the law, it still requires death from them. But if that person has died, the due penalty of death has been paid. That person is now no longer held accountable to the law. So let's take that back into verse 18. Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. It wasn't the sinful nature itself that was torn down. The sinful nature will be torn down in due time as we're sanctified in Christ. It was the accountability to the law that was torn down, and it was torn down immediately. When Christ was crucified, the the accountability to the law was torn down And when Christ was crucified, we were crucified with him. You can see that in verse 20. When he paid our debt, our accountability was removed. Hebrews tells us that he died once for all. So that includes sins past, present, and future. We were literally set free in Christ. But how does this happen? How exactly can Jesus Christ atone for our sins? What law of nature states that a righteous being can take on the due penalty of a bunch of unrighteous beings, a multitude of others, and they no longer have to pay the debt? Well, we can't really answer that part entirely. Not on this side of heaven. Perhaps never. But we do know that Jesus Christ was the perfect lamb without spot or blemish. He was completely sinless, innocent, according to the law. So is that what made him righteous? Because he never violated the law? I think that we could all agree that would be heresy to say that that Jesus Christ was righteous because he never violated the law. Jesus Christ was righteous since before time began. His righteousness is dependent on nothing. He was not righteous because he didn't violate the law. He didn't violate the law because he was righteous. So out of all this, then an important question emerges. If we cannot be counted as righteous through obedience to the law, and Christ was not counted as righteous because of the law, then what purpose does the law serve? Fortunately, Paul gives us the answer to this question question a bit later in Galatians. Let's look at Galatians 3, verse 24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by what? Faith. So there we have it. The law is our tutor. It was never there to bring us life. It leads us to Christ who brings us life. And it does so by means of instruction, just as a tutor does tutor's job is to instruct or to teach. So what does the law teach us? Well, how many Jewish people do you think would know that they were sinners if it were not for the law? The law is what showed them how to live. It's what showed them right from wrong. They had to have the law in order to know they were sinners. If they didn't know they were sinners, they wouldn't need a savior, Right? but the law showed them that they were indeed sinners and they did indeed need a savior which led them to Christ as a tutor would and not just that it does so in a different way also so let's pretend for a second that the law didn't exist but the Jewish people still somehow knew that they needed a savior okay Christ enters the world how do they know how do they know that Jesus Christ is righteous he performed miracles Right? He spoke words of great wisdom, but how would they know that he was righteous? Their Savior had to be a spotless lamb, the Holy Son of God, to save them. How could they gauge his righteousness when there was no metric by which to measure it? The law was needed to do this. So that's why the law is important. It shows us who we are as sinners, and it shows us who Christ is as the Holy Son of God. It leads us, just as a tutor would, to faith in Christ as the only one who can save us. So let's continue with verse 20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So we see in verse 20 that according to the law, we are dead. As followers of Christ, the life as we once knew it is gone. Our sins have been atoned for. We are dead to this world, dead to the law. But we now live by other means. We have life through faith in Jesus Christ, a life that will never end. Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ is our source of life now. The old life is gone. It is finished. It is done. Christ has died for sins past, present, and future. So we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to do enough good deeds to make it to heaven or to make God love us more. We don't have to do anything to be justified as right, or to be made righteous before God except to believe in Jesus Christ. We are completely and utterly helpless when it comes to saving ourselves. That's why we needed a Savior. And God knew that. That's why he sent a Savior. And he didn't send a Savior to die for no reason. Let's look at verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Do you think that God Almighty sent his beloved son to take on all the sins of his people, to suffer the most brutal death imaginable, and even worse, to be the recipient of the Father's wrath? All to leave the justification of his people in their own hands. Was the blood of Christ worth so little that God the Father would gamble it away into the hands of human beings that he already knows are inadequate? It wouldn't even be a gamble. Genesis tells us before the flood that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God Almighty would not submit his beloved son to such a fate, knowing that we would all drop the ball anyway. We were bought for a price, a very, very steep price. The payment has been made, and I assure you, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, the one who speaks constellations into existence, the one from whom all life originates, The one who binds together all matter in the universe and tells it when it can exist. The one who created time itself and tells it when it should pass. Our God will receive what he has paid for and our inability to keep the law will not leave it withheld from his hand. I hope this sinks in today. I hope that it gives you freedom. I hope that it draws you nearer to our Savior. I hope that it shows you all what has already been true. The law does not bind you any longer. We are alive in Christ, and he has paid our debt in full. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these words of freedom this morning, that we are free from the law, that we have life through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be with us all as we go out into this world, that you would help us not to suffer from legalism, Lord, but that we can draw nearer to you, knowing that you are the only one that can count us as righteous, Father. I thank you for this opportunity to preach this morning, and I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I pray that you would walk with them through this week, Lord, and bless them and hold them near to you. Lord, incline their hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ready for that? What a good exposition of Galatians 2, a simple gospel-centered message that reminds us that we are in need of our Savior, that we are sinners only saved by grace, and we only live by faith. Amen.